Okay, so as we're as uh, Jesse was saying over the last several weeks, we've been going through um, our vision series. We do this every year. Talk about who we are. Talk about what our vision is for a church um, and, and how. And then we talk about practically different ways and different aspects of what we do as a body um, in order to accomplish that vision. So we, we've talked about our missional communities. Um, if you weren't here over the last several weeks, you may have missed as we talk about our missional communities and how we gather together as um, smaller groups of families outside of Sunday to live life with each other, to help each other walk through life. Um, and, and then also, in addition to that, to also have a mission and be intentional in our communities about how we're reaching and spreading the gospel and, and fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. We talked about our DNA groups um, and then small groups of men, small groups of women that gather together for um, intense times of discipleship, really digging into issues that are very specific to men and to women um, that maybe wouldn't, we wouldn't talk about within the context of larger group family settings where there may be you know, children present or whatever. Again, the purpose of those DNA groups is to help us to uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior so that we can become more equipped and more prepared to be on mission um, accomplishing what God has called us to do as a community or body of believers. We've talked about why we do our worship services, the way we do our worship services on Sunday, describing um, the order, even down to the order of the way we do things with prayer and the scripture reading and the singing and then prayer and the preaching of the word and more singing, like why we do these things and why we feel that it's important to be intentional about the order of our services on Sunday mornings. So as we've kind of now talked through for the last several weeks, um, I get the, the kind of, the, to be like the, the wrap-up guy, the clean-up guy that comes in at the end and says, okay, so now here's who we are as a church. So now if you're thinking, man, I, I'm excited about this. I feel like this is who I am called to be and, and, and a body of believers that I would like to be a part of and, and be on mission with and to serve alongside of. Now we can talk today about, okay, well, how do you actually do that? Like, how do I become a part of this, this church um, specifically? But then also kind of talking even more broadly, like what our view biblically of what it means to be a covenantal member of a local church um, and, and why membership it even even matters. Like, why do I have to be a member? Why do I need to um, to agree to certain certain things? And, and as part of this relationship, like, why do I need to do that? And so that's that's what I'll be um, talking through today. So before I get started, let me just quickly pray um, for us before we begin. Father, I just worship you for the incredible gifts that you've given us. Specifically today, worshiping you for the gift of the local church. And um, for everything that, that, it has, uh, that it has equipped us to do, for everything that you have set forth for us to do, Father, I just pray um, that you would help us as, uh, as both TCC and as the, the larger universal church um, to be faithful to your word, to be on mission, to do what it is that you have called us to do. Um, and Father, I just pray again, like Jesse said, I pray that, that your, your words, whatever, whatever it is that you would have for someone to hear today, um, we come through. We come through this, and then we be clear. And, um, and I just pray that in your name, Amen. So the, I chose the scripture for today, even though I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptures. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to talk about. Um, uh, 
covenantal membership kind of in general, and then I'm going to talk specifically about the covenants that we that we have at the Crossing Church. So lots and lots of scripture here, um, and so you you can you'll get the, the good news is if you decide that you want to become a member of the Crossing, you'll actually get a copy of the covenant, and you'll have all the scripture references that I give today. So you'll be able to go and you'll be able to look up those scriptures for yourself to make sure that we're not going off the rails with our with the things that we say that we believe as a church. You'll be able to see that and check that against scripture. Um, like, like we always say, you know, don't take our word for it. But the scripture is, is what you should be using um, to assess truth, not something that I say or what anybody else says that stands up here. But what does it say relative to the word? Uh, is it true? Because that's the standard for truth. So the scripture that I chose today, um, probably pretty familiar to most of you, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. So Jesus came here and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. When I was preparing for this message, I, I kind of was going back and forth on, on which scripture I would use um, to lead in. I had originally thought, well, maybe I should... You know, go through and actually describe what, what a covenant is. And so I immediately thought, there's lots of covenants in the Old Testament, but the one that came into my mind was the Abrahamic covenant, which was a covenant that Abraham had with God about um, Abraham growing his family and blessing all the nations. Um, that, that was kind of the one that I thought of. Um, and then I was going to talk about, like, you know, how covenants work and, and the way that, you know, these, you know, sort of the, the formality of the relationship that the covenant gave. Um, and, then, and then I was going to talk about. Jesus' death and ushering in a new covenant now that, that we're in this, this new covenant that we're in today. Um, and, and these are good, and that's all true. But then I was thinking about again, and then specifically this message within the context of our vision series, um, really about getting back to the mission. Because that's what the whole point of what we do is, is the mission. Um, the, uh, the, the Great Commission being that mission. So I really felt that it was most appropriate to say, okay, so as a church and as a, as a gathering of believers, um, we need to be, everything that we do needs to be focused towards that mission. So even our covenant that we have um, as, as a crossing church really needs to be for advancing the accomplishment of the mission or else it's, it's not really relevant. So that, that's where I started with that Great Commission. So just as a reminder to us, um, what the Great Commission is, that we go, we make disciples of all the nations. Um, and that, that's really solely our purpose. So the context is, is just a tool, that, the, the context that the, um, uh, the covenant is just a tool that we use in order to accomplish that mission um, at the Crossing Church. And, and the, the amazing thing, this is, this is what's so cool about being a Christian, is that through submission to God's plan, and through submission and the giving up of our own rights, and the giving up of ourselves and submitting to the word of God and submitting to a covenant, submitting to elders within the context of a local church it is actually the only time that we can find true freedom. So we think that as Americans, we feel like we get freedom by doing whatever we want and by being able to pursue you know, whatever I want to pursue because I, in the moment, feel as though that's going to make me happy. Um, and then for anyone who's been alive for any period of time, hopefully you're starting to realize that that is couldn't be more wrong, that the more you pursue your own selfish desires, the more miserable you are in life, right? And so God's plan, of course, is always the best plan. And we see that as we submit to 
a covenant, submit to leadership, submit to God's plan. That's when we finally find that we have freedom. Um, so, so that covenant that, uh, that we have here at the Crossing Church um, is really about how we, as the body, are in an intentional relationship with God and with each other to pursue our calling as that local church. And it's really just spelling out the expectations of our relationship. So if you um, go into a relationship without understanding what you're getting into, very shortly after making that commitment, you'll discover that maybe you didn't really agree or maybe you didn't really want to be in that relationship in the first place and you jumped headlong into something um, that you shouldn't have jumped headlong, headlong into because you didn't understand what the expectations were or, or the, the, um, in order to make that relationship work and be functional and be healthy. Um, and so this isn't about, um, the, the, the covenant is not about us trying to control you or to have, you know, some sort of hierarchical structure, authority within the church where, you know, the elders, Jesse, Joseph, and Jared are the kings and the rest of us are the subjects. Like, that, that is not what this is. Um, this is about um, making us our relationship and making really clear the terms of our relationship. Like, in the same way that we would... Um, in a, in a, before getting married, right? We want to have some very serious conversations about things like, like marriage, like, I mean, finances, like children. Like those types of things are really important conversations to have before I get into a relationship with someone because those are big issues. And if I'm not clear on what those issues are, um, before I know it, we're going to be in, in a lot of strife, a lot of contention in that relationship. And God uses that analogy of marriage throughout the scriptures. Uh, throughout the New Testament specifically to describe the church and the relationship between God and the church. Um, and, and it's a really effective analogy. As, you know, of course, it's God, so he knows what he's doing. He's really good at making analogies. So he help us understand. So um, th that's, that's really, when you think about a covenant, think about that way. Think about wedding vows, uh, promises that we make to each other um, at, at, before committing to be married. We make these promises to each other um, so that we understand those terms and then we, we follow through with those commitments throughout our lives. So, so now that we know that, that you know, we have a covenant, we understand what, what it means to have a covenant, why we have a covenant at the crossing. Um, so how do I become a member? Like, real practically, what are the things that I need to do to become a member of the crossing church? Um, and, and the first part of that is being in a missional community for three months. So we've already kind of talked about that. I think Jesse preached on what missional communities are. Um, and so now we know what those are. Being a member of the missional community for three months um, is important. I think we found that three months is, is a good period of time. It's not too long, um, but it's also long enough to where that, that gives time for people to kind of really get to know one another. Um, shorter than that, and it just seems to be three months is a good cycle where if you don't take that amount of time, then you end up with some surprises on the back end, right? So three months is, a, is kind of our, uh, our standard there. We also expect um, for, that there's a book to read. And I think there's actually more than one, uh, but the one that I reference, um, that I'm going to reference today is I'm a Church Member uh, by Tom Rainer. And we have copies of this book back there, so if you want to read it, um, it, it's really short. Like, I mean, really short. Um, but this is just a great book. Walking through New Testament, loaded with Scripture, um, explaining what a healthy, functioning church member should be. I'm actually going to reference it several times today um, in my sermon, so uh, hopefully that will uh, pique your interest to go and read the entire book. Um, we also expect uh, that you will affirm our statement of faith. And by affirm, that means that you agree with and that you not just agree, but that you also 
saying, I also believe this, right? That's, that's affirmation. So it's not just acceptance, like, okay, I accept that the crossing believes this, I'll allow it. Like, no, it's that I, I also believe these things. I agree, I affirm, I stand with you uh, in these things. Um, and, and that's just, again, really important that we be on the same page theologically. Um, it, and it's also interesting, too, I, I just as I was writing and reading this, I, I, I was thinking to myself that um, in the last couple of years, it's become really clear that we, we have to understand what are our non-negotiable items that we stand on. Um, and that, I feel like maybe that's something that's kind of always been clear. Like, I need to know what my non-negotiables are. What are the things that I say, um, uh, I have to believe these things in order to be considered, you know, a Christian or a part of the crossing church or whatever. These are the non-negotiable items. Um, but there's also a flip side to that that I think has really come up in the last couple of years, which is that if it's not one of those things, then it's not something that we should be divided over. It's not something that we should be getting angry at each other over. It's something that we should have grace for. Um, and, and so, you know, in this political climate that we're in, um, in this, just even COVID, I mean, there's just so many things that came up that were not um, explicitly uh, closed-handed, or I can't even remember the, like, the word for that, but like these just non-negotiable items of the Christian faith, and there were massive amounts of division across the church, in our church, across the world, um, on some of these issues in the last couple of years. Um, and so I think it's important the statement of faith does two things. One, it says this is what we believe, and this is what we're going to stand our ground on and draw a line in the sand on. Um, and then these are the things that we're not going to draw a line in the sand on. Um, and so if you, um, you know, feel a certain way about a certain thing that is not explicitly commanded in Scripture, I'm going to have grace for you in that. And, and we can, and it's okay, like it legitimately is okay to disagree with people. Like that's okay. If I disagree with you, it doesn't mean that I hate you. Um, if you disagree with me, it doesn't mean that you hate me, right? Um, and so disagreement is okay. That, that's kind of part of being um, human beings in a diverse group of people. We've got, you know, young people here. We've got older people here like me, right? And then, but like being in this group, we're going to have different opinions on certain things. And we need to have grace for each other in those things. Um, and that also doesn't mean that we can't be passionate about certain things. Um, but again, the, the passion needs to stop where it starts to cause division, right, among, among the body. So just wanted to, to talk about that. Uh, additionally, um, to be a member of the Crossing Church, you need to fill out a membership profile or be interviewed um, by one of the elders, Jared, Joseph, or Jesse. Um, and, and again, that's just for us to know you. We want to know your story. We want to know how you became a Christian. Um, it, it's... it's um, it's kind of common for people to say that they're a Christian, but then if you ask them to actually explain how to have it, to give details around that conversion, um, they can't explain that, right? And it should be something that you should be able to explain. Um, and so that's um, just, just part of this, wanting to get to know you a little better, understanding your story. Uh, again, additionally, signing a member's covenant, I'm going to talk about that um, in much more detail here in a minute. Um, making that agreement, like we said, you know, those sort of marriage vows um, that, that we have together as a, as a group of people. Um, and then additionally, we also have a new members class, and I think we used to do that regularly. I think now we kind of do it on demand, so like as there's people that want to have a new members class, we sort of do it on demand. So if you want to be a, a member, um, you know, let you know, one of the elders know, and, and they will um, coordinate that, and we can have that new members class. So now I want to talk through, actually I want to walk through the covenant. Um, so, um, again, lots of scripture here, and then and I'm going to talk through certain points, and, and we'll, we're just going to walk through this together. 
Um, so, so the covenant number one, to submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final word on all issues of life, faith, and practice. And that comes from Psalm 19, Psalm 119, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I'm not going to read all those scriptures. Um, again, you, you can look them up when, when you get the covenant if you decide you want to join. Um, again, this, this goes kind of back to the statement of faith. Right? We have a statement of faith. We believe as Christians that the, the Bible is the source of truth. Um, I like to use the analogy of um, a worldview, right? So I, I take this, the truth of Scripture, it's like lenses that I put on my eyes. So as I'm walking through life and I'm observing certain things or um, certain moral issues or whatever, how I interpret those things are based on the truth of Scripture. Not based on some sort of secular philosophy, although some secular philosophers have interesting points and, and, and they, they are the Christians are capable of speaking truth, um, but again, that truth needs to be checked against Scripture, right? So Scripture is the source, and, and for interpreting the, the world around us, we believe in um, using using Scripture as, as the, the only source of truth there. It doesn't come from a, um, you know, a hierarchical structure or some sort of like exalted leader who has like a special connection, um, as you find in many other religions. Um, there, there, it is the Word of God that is given to us that is complete. Um, and it is, it is finished. There is no new scripture being created today. The 66 books of the Bible that we have today are the word of God. And that's what we believe as the final word. Um, and uh, again, it's back to the um, division piece, right? If it's not clearly called out in scripture as something to divide over, then, then we have grace. Um, and I'm a church member. Uh, Tom Rainer describes a biblical church member as a unifying church member. So somebody who... Not, not that you don't cause division, but that you're actually actively causing unity through your actions and through the things that you're doing, right? And how you're including people um, and how you're reaching out and seeking to listen and understand. Um, we've probably all been in these conversations where the person that I'm talking to is very clear that they're just waiting for me to stop talking so that they can continue to tell me their opinion on things, right? That's not how we be inclusive. We be better than I've done that too. Maybe I should have said that another way. I've done that, right? Where I'm just like waiting for you to stop so I can continue to tell you what uh, what I think about stuff, right? So that that is not unity, right? Unifying is being inclusive, seeking to listen, to understand, right? That's how we do this. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, therefore, I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Again, not just not being divisive, right, but actively being a unifying force um, within the body. We love each other unconditionally. We honor the differences that we have. Um, if, if somebody says, if, if you know somebody has been walking their lives as a Christian, you've observed the fruit of the Spirit, you know that they love Jesus, they profess that they love Jesus, but then one day you find out that they voted maybe for a political party that you don't agree with, and then all of a sudden now you're looking at that person with suspicion, rather than trusting that they are prayerful in their decisions, um, then you need to now, that's a good opportunity for you to check where your priorities are. Are your priorities on the Word of God or are your priorities on the things of man? Um, so we need to think about those things that can be divisive or be on guard against those things that can be divisive. 
gossiping, talking negatively behind other people's backs. Again, divisive things. Um, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on unity right now, but again, these are the types of things. If someone, if it, and what that doesn't mean, though, is that if someone is offending, offends you or truly says something wrong and hurtful to you, um, there is a right way to handle that. There is a Christian way to handle that. Um, and that is um, given to us by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18. And you go and you talk to this person that has done something wrong to you. You, you personally talk to that person. You don't immediately go run to some sort of authority figure and, and tell them that. Right? You handle your conflict yourself if you can. Um, and then if it doesn't work, that's when you now start involving other people to assist you right? to, to deal with this issue. Um, and and, and that, that is how we can maintain um, unity in relationship. So number two is to seek the Lord through, uh, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ through regular Bible reading, prayer, fellowship with the body, and practicing other spiritual disciplines. Luke 18, 1, Acts 17, 11, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Ephesians 4, 24 through 5, 21. So again, how can I know, right, we said before that the Bible needs to be our source of truth, and it's the lens that we use to interpret the world around us. If I don't know what's in the book, how can I possibly interpret what I'm seeing in the world around me through the lens of truth? So we can't be on mission. We can't use the Bible uh, to help us make good decisions if we don't know what it says. But the good news is, even though it seems like it's a really big book and it's kind of intimidating to read, um, you can read the entire thing in one year, just 15 minutes a day. So it's not a lot of effort to be able to know what's in this book so that we can actually um, grow closer to God and be able to interpret uh, uh, what we're seeing in the world around. Additionally, like we said, praying, the daily part of prayer. Okay, so as part of our scripture reading, our daily study, we should also be daily in prayer. Okay, and some things that we can pray for, that good, healthy church members pray for. Um, we should be praying for our elders and our families, um, for our own families, for this local body, for our communities, for our nation, to include national leaders that we might not agree with politically. Um, and, and I'm a church member. Tom Rayner specifically calls out the need for functioning members of the church to pray for their pastors. And I, and I want to read um, I want to read a passage from here. Let's see if I can find it. I'll show you a little bit more. Here we go. Chapter 4. Um, I'll pray for my church leaders. So this is a true story. I just want to read this. It's not, it's not long. I just want to read this for you just so that you can kind of get a sense of why it's important for us to pray for our pastors. Again, true story. Uh, just, of course, the names are different. It's Thursday morning. Pastor Mike has a clear calendar, an aberration in his busy schedule. Actually, the calendar isn't really clear. He set aside time to finish his sermon for Sunday. His Bible is open. Study aids are nearby. He begins to study. Then the phone rings. His assistant tells him about a car accident involving a family in the church. The ambulances are already on the way to the hospital. Mike leaves all his study material on his desk and jumps into the car. On the way to the hospital, his assistant calls him again. The entire Godsey family of five were in the car. None are seriously hurt except Gary, the father and husband of the family. His condition is grave. Pastor Mike walks into the emergency room. The family has just been told that their husband and father did not make it. They see their pastor and run to him sobbing, total shock. Mike is there for them. He stays with the entire family for three hours until he is certain Enough people are around to care for them. He stops by his home to see his wife and grab a quick sandwich. 
It's now the afternoon. He's not sure if he can return to his sermon preparation, but he knows that he must. He must fight the emotional exhaustion of the morning and finish the message. But as he walks back to the church, his assistant apologetically tells him, two people need to speak with him. They consider it urgent. Mike meets with the two men. One of them is the worship leader of the church. He's struggling with his ministry and is considering giving up. For two hours, Mike listens, consoles, and attempts to encourage the staff member. The next visitor that catches Mike off guard, George is one of the key lay leaders in the church. Mike considers him a friend and an incredibly vital person in the overall leadership of the congregation. George struggles to speak. My wife is having an affair. There's no more words for five minutes, just tears and sobs. Mike stays with George for over two hours. They pray together and talk about next steps. It's nearly five o'clock in the afternoon. Mike is too drained to attempt to get back to his sermon. Instead, he begins to look at his crowded email inbox. He cringes when he sees one of the senders of the email, but he cannot stop himself from opening the message. It's from one of Mike's most frequent critics in the church. She has two complaints. The first irritation is something he said in last Sunday's sermon. The second complaint addressed Mike's failure to visit her sister-in-law, who had minor outpatient surgery yesterday. The woman is not a member of the church, and Mike knew nothing about the surgery. Pastor Mike shuts the laptop cover and moves to his car. He'll stop by the house to grab a quick bite to eat. Then he needs to check on the gods and family. He'll stay with them for a while, and he has to leave prior to 7.30 when he's to give the invocation for a local high school basketball game. Several people corner him at the game, so he doesn't get home until after 9 o'clock. He goes to his small study in his home, shuts the door, and begins to cry. Gary Godsey, the father and husband who was killed in a car accident, was Mike's best friend. This was the first chance that Mike had to breathe. So, I'm not an elder yet in this church. I've never been through anything like this. Um, but I can tell you that the elders of this church have been through things like this. And I don't really know, actually, everything that they've been through because they don't talk about it. So, it's important, I think, for us because I think it's easy for us to not realize the amount of sacrifice that the people who lead in a church, the types of things that they have to go through. So I wanted to throw that out there for us to understand that um, as a functioning, healthy church member, we should be praying in general, but pray specifically for our elders. Number three, to follow the command and example of Jesus by participating in the ordinances prescribed by the church. And those two ordinances that Jesus specifically called out are to, regular, or to receive believers' baptism, and to regularly remember and celebrate the person and work of Jesus Christ through communion. So as a church, we do believe in baptism by immersion of um, what we call believer's baptism. So it would be an adult um, who makes the decision, or a young adult who makes the decision to get baptized, understanding fully what they're, what they're getting into and the proclamation that they're making. Um, so that's why we don't baptize infants. And what we would say is that if you were baptized as an infant, um, and that you that you be baptized as an adult, as a believer. Um, but we aren't so so strict on the, the immersion part of it. If you're an adult who has already been baptized, maybe not through immersion, but you don't feel necessarily that you need or that you want to get baptized again, we aren't saying that you have to be baptized by immersion. Um, but if you again have more questions about this, you can talk to your MC leader um, and, and, and they can help you to kind of walk through this and how we do baptism as a church. Uh, number four. To regularly participate in the life of the Crossing Church by attending uh, 
weekly worship gatherings, engaging in a missional community, and serving those within and outside of the church. So I don't know if you, if you don't know what a country club is, um, a country club is like a, like a place that you can go, it's usually a building, um, you, you pay dues monthly, and as part of those dues that you pay, you get access to this facility. Lots of times they have like a pool, or they have like, um, even sometimes like a, like a kitchen where you can get food, and rooms that you can rent out for events or whatever. Um, and then, um, you, so basically by, by this payment that you give of your dues, um, you get certain privileges, um, access to this thing that people who don't pay those dues don't get access to. Um, for, I live up in Sterlington, there's Frenchman's Bend. Frenchman's Bend has a country club, right? You have to be, you live in Frenchman's Bend and pay to go to that country club, whatever. It's, it's, that's that's what, a, what a country club is. Lots of Christians, particularly in America, see the church as a country club. So the money that we give, the tithe that we give, we consider that to be our dues. And therefore, we think that our dues give us the right to dictate certain things and that we get certain privileges within the church. I get to decide um, what kind of messages are preached or, or, or maybe what kind of messages aren't preached, the kinds of things we don't talk about, right? What programs are done, right? What, what are we doing with, you know, certain kids' things or certain adults' things and these specific things that I really enjoy, um, I get to decide whether or not we do those things. What music is being played? How we decorate the church? Um, and, and again, if for any of you that have been in church for any period of time, like, these are not surprising things. Like, I've been in churches where all of these things were dictated by the members, specifically the ones who gave, um, and they felt that they had the right and the privilege to decide all of those things. Um, and, and again, just to be clear, this is flatly contradicted by Scripture. So, as a member of the church, this is not a country club, right? We are here to worship God, to do the things that we've talked about previously already, um, and, and that's not to say that being a part of a church doesn't have benefits, and being a member of a church doesn't have benefits. It does. Um, but, but those benefits are, are, are a side effect um, that you get once you submit to being a member of, of the local church and submit to the leadership of your elders. So just, just to give an example, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, we are told to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And it goes on, uh, there's, there's more. But the point, though, is that um, if there was anyone who was entitled to exploit the power that was rightfully his, it was the Lord Jesus. And yet he chose not to, and was obedient, and was um, humble, so that he could accomplish the mission and the plan that God had set forth with the redemptive work for, uh, for humanity. So how much more us, who don't have any right to any power, how much more humble should we be as church members? So number five, to be a faithful steward of all that God has given me, time, talents, spiritual gifts, and finances. I will give financial gifts, service, and time that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary to the life of the crossing church. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Romans 12, 1 through 2, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. All of those passages talking about um, sacrificially giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, and our, and our money. And I just think it's really helpful for us to remember when we're thinking about tithing and we're thinking about giving money um, that, that we have each month 
that, 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 that if we remember that it isn't really our things, right? This isn't this money doesn't belong to us. The, the, the money that we have it are, is, is a gift that we were given because God is sovereign, and so our lives and where we are now, the money that we are making is we are making it because of God and because He has given it to us. So we shouldn't be we shouldn't feel as though um, you know we we are. Um, that this is an obligation, but rather this should be an act of worship. Thank you for what you have blessed me with. And through this act of worship, I am now giving back to you a little bit of what you have given me um, to say thank you and to worship you and to also say I trust in your future provision. It can It is an impact whenever you're giving money away. Of course, that's an impact to your finances. That means it's one thing you can't buy, right? Whatever it is that you've given that money away, now you can't buy that something for yourself. Right? So you're having to now trust in God's provision that you will um, that He will provide for you in the future as well. Number six, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, I will walk in holiness in all areas of life. To be holy means to be set apart, meaning that we don't allow the love of this world to pull us away from God's calling on our lives. Again, back to the mission. Right? Why do we need to walk in holiness? Because the love of this world is what pulls people off mission. So if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Paul is talking to Timothy and describing someone named Demas. Verse 10, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. I don't know about Crescens and and, um, and Titus, but specifically Demas, was in love with the present world. So that's why he abandoned the ministry. And, and interestingly, if you look through the other history, Demas was, a, was apparently, according to other parts of Scripture, a faithful Christian serving alongside Paul in ministry. But in the end, he deserted the ministry because he loved the present world. And again, what we mean by loving the present world is not that you love people or that you, that you care for the nations. Of course, that's not what we mean. What we mean is that you love the things that this world does for your flesh and the way that it feeds your fleshly, earthly human desires. And so in this way, um, now the, the, the next part of the covenant is talking about some very practical scriptural things that we do to keep ourselves clean and to protect us from falling into this trap of love for the world. So some specific ways we do that. Number seven, I will maintain total sexual purity until marriage. If married, I will maintain complete faithfulness to my spouse. Fidelity and faithfulness requires purity and abstaining from all forms of sexual immorality, such as adultery, premarital sex, and pornography. And then a whole host of, of New Testament scriptures here follows um, that, you can, that you can look up if you, if you um, are concerned about any of those statements. So um, even though the Christian sexual ethic is hotly debated issue today, um, again, we base our source of truth on what the scriptures say. And scripture is very clear about what God's plan is for humanity when it comes to human sexuality and the relationships that, that, that exist between men and women. And the great thing is, too, and I, I actually preached on this, I don't know, like several months ago, where um, God does this really good thing where he says, look, here's what my plan is. So my plan is one man, one woman, for life, within the bounds of marriage. That's how God intended for human sexuality to exist. Anything outside of that is contrary to the plan, to include divorce, right? So, so it's really easy. God makes it really easy by saying, here's what it should be. 
this, this, this short list is what it should be. This long list that you all have come up with as human beings is, is not this. So short list, focus on the short list, okay? So that, that's, that's, that's how we can, that's a really helpful way for us to remember what God's plan is for us. And then again, like I just mentioned with divorce, number eight, because marriage is a commitment until death, my spouse and I will seek marriage reconciliation under the direction of my elders before pursuing divorce from my spouse. Number nine, I will abstain from illegal drug use, drunkenness, gossip, and other sinful behaviors as described by the Bible. Number 10, to refrain from activities that the scripture would call foolish. Number 11, to recognize the teaching on Christian freedom, especially actions that could present a stumbling block to others. So just interesting, the way, the way we lay this out in our covenant, right? like, like I said before, um, we have a list of very clear teachings. And there's, all, again, all these scripture references for these, these items that I just mentioned. So you can go and you can read what are those things. Um, but then, but then there's, there's this other part where it's like, well, this isn't necessarily explicitly called out as sinful in Scripture. Um, so that means you, you have freedom within this space to function within this space. Um, but, but then you've got now a tissue on Christian freedom that you can potentially cause a stumbling block to others by exercising your freedom, right? A great example could be alcohol. So the, the Bible calls out drunkenness specifically. That doesn't necessarily, from, from our perspective, mean that having a drink of alcohol is sinful, right? Having a little bit of alcohol is sinful, right? But now, if I know that I have the freedom to have a little bit of alcohol, but then I know that I have someone that I really love and care about who struggles with alcoholism, it would now become a sin for me to drink in front of this person who struggles with alcoholism, right? So this is this, this balancing act that we're constantly dealing. And, and the good news is, again, as Christians, how we think through this is, Thinking about love for one another, right? If I have love for one another, then if love for other people, then I'm willing to sacrifice of myself in order to love other people. So then, now we talk about okay. So then, so then, if those, if these are the things that we agree to, if these are the terms of our relationship and how we've agreed to have our relationship. So what do we do when those terms and those those um, expectations are broken? Um, so, number one, that I would confess my sin to God and to fellow believers when wanted. Not all sins require public confession. Some sins maybe are a private sin that exists between you and one other person. That doesn't mean that you need to come up here and stand up here and confess to the whole church whatever the sin is that you've committed. Some sins do require public confession, even though maybe those sins were done in private and only a couple people know about them. I think we've seen a lot of this lately, where these types of things have come up, where there have been these private secret sins that have been happening um, within, within the church, um, of course, throughout the whole culture, but within the church specifically, right? Those, those sins require public confession. Um, and then that's why we have elders, right? And, and we can help to kind of walk through these things. Um, but additionally, in addition to confession, so it's not just about confessing, but it's also about repentance. Repentance, seek God's help to put sin to death. Okay, so repentance is where I, okay, this is the path that I'm walking down. And I know that this path is not a good path. I agree that this is wrong. And I feel guilt for this, this sin that I've committed. Now, instead of, what, what am I going to do with this guilt that I'm feeling? I can either take this guilt that I'm feeling, and I can double down on my sin. So, well, it doesn't matter. I've already messed it all up. I can just double down and sin even harder, right? Or I can repent and turn towards God and run to my Father. 
and ask for God's help to put sin to death. Ask for the help of our elders, the church, to put sin to death. So turning away from this path, turning towards that path, is, is what repentance is. Number three, to submit to the elders and other appointed leaders of the church. Again, fight for the unity and peace within the church. We already talked about that. Number four, to follow the biblical procedures for church discipline when sin is evident in another, with the hope of repentance and restoration. Number five, to receive grace-filled loving discipline when approached by a brother or sister in Christ. So I personally receive grace-filled loving discipline when approached by a brother or sister in Christ. So I just wanted to take a second to call out about the importance of restoration. So that's, that's why we have church discipline, right? Again, let's think back. What's the mission? We want as many people as possible to be on mission. That's the whole point. We want all nations. We want to make disciples of all nations, right? We want all people, everybody to be on mission. So it's not about you did this thing wrong and I'm casting you out because you don't fit in, right? And you don't meet the standard. But it's about what you're doing is wrong. I'm not saying that what you're doing is okay or acceptable. What I want is for you to stop it and come this way and get back on mission, right? So that's the point of restoration. And I think that, for, again, for those of us, I know I've been in very unhealthy church environments where church discipline is about here is the, you know, the code of, of rules, whatever those, and everybody has a code of rules, even though some, some groups may say that they don't and, and, and all they believe in is tolerance and, and grace and these sorts of things. Well, that's kind of the code of rules, right? If you don't, have these, if you're not tolerant and graceful with everyone, well now you don't fit in, so now you're out, right? And then others may have a long, very detailed list of commands that are not explicit in Scripture, by the way, and, and then that becomes a thing, if you don't meet these, you're out, because you don't fit in and you're not advancing the image or whatever it is, whatever our motivation is behind it. Um, and that's kind of like how the Pharisees were, right? In the New Testament, when Jesus was so condemning of the Pharisees in that they had these these set of rules that they had created were not scriptural, um, where they, they would you know follow this to the letter. It was like almost like a buffer. They would say, okay, if I I know that these are the commandments of God, so I'm going to actually create new rules that to make me even that much more safe from accidentally sinning, right? But then it was the accomplishment of these rules that became so important. Um, and that if you didn't follow those rules, then you were an evil, wicked sinner, and you had no opportunity for salvation at all. Uh, and that, at the time, again, back to, to Jesus and the people at the time, feeling so just overwhelmed and burdened, knowing that no matter what they did, they could never live up to the expectations of the Pharisees. But of course, the Pharisees had no heart in it, right? It was all about the outward action. Um, so so that's, that's our, our way we do church discipline. It's all about... Restoration, getting you back on mission. Right? Like I said, everything that we do is about mission. So finally, we talked a lot about individual, you know, how you as an individual relate to us as a corporate body. A um, couple of additional things uh, that a healthy church member um, should be doing. One, if you have a family, if you are a, um, a father or a mother, um, so in the same way that, that I'm standing here encouraging and admonishing, in the same way that our other elders encourage and your MC leaders and you're getting encouraged and admonished in your DNA group, so should we be also encouraging and admonishing the people in our family to be healthy church members. I have a responsibility as a father to lead my family well. And that biblical responsibility falls to me as the husband and as the father. 
Um, and what, what, unfortunately, what we've seen um, throughout history in, in, in church is that um, verses like wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That becomes used um, as, a, as a weapon for misogyny, right? So now I'm, I'm now using that, that verse to oppress women as a man, saying that this is giving me privilege, right? But again, being part of the church is not about privilege, right? So it's about responsibility. So because we don't like to read the, those same men that would use verses like that to oppress women, don't like to read these verses, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. So this self-sacrificial love that husbands should have towards their families and towards their wives um, is in the same way creates an environment where submission is something that's filled with joy. In the same way in the church, when we submit to a healthy biblical church, it becomes free and filled with joy. Right? So that's, um, as, as a husband, as a father, that's my responsibility. Um, and it's something that I will be judged harshly for um, if I don't fill that, fulfill that responsibility biblically and in love. And then additionally, praying and worshiping together as a family. So not only do I lead and, and try to encourage my family to be faithful church members, but also I should be leading, praying together, worshiping as a family. And that doesn't necessarily mean you can't sing or play an instrument, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're worshiping, you know, by playing an instrument, maybe you just put music on or whatever, but make worship all the time. Um, Psalm 34, I bless the Lord at all times. Praise will always be on my lips. Make praise and worship a part of your family. Um, be intentional about worshiping God apart from Sunday mornings. This can't be the only time that you worship. You should be worshiping all the time. So the last thing um, that I would leave is, again, just a reminder. And I know it can feel like here's all these things that I've talked about. And the church becomes, can, can, you know, as I was preparing, I was like, really want to make sure that at the end that we talk again about the gift that is the church. Right? I want to read again from this book um, one, one last piece. This is um, I thought this was really nice. This is again at the end of I Am a Church Member um, it says I am a church member. I like the metaphor of membership. It's not membership as in a civic organization or a country club. It's the kind of membership given to us in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Because I'm a member of the body of Christ, I must be a functioning member, whether I'm an eye or an ear or a hand. As a functioning member, I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, I will seek to be a blessing to others. I will remember that if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. First Corinthians 12, 26. I am a church member. I will seek to be a source of unity in the church. I know there's no perfect pastor, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. I am a church member. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I'm in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that are just not my preference or style. I am a church member. I will pray for my pastor every day. His work is never ending. His days are filled with constant demands for his time, with the need to prepare sermons with those who are rejoicing in births, with those who are traveling through the valley of the shadow of death, with critics, with the hurts and hopes of others, and with the need to be a husband and a father, 
My pastor cannot serve our church in his own power. I will pray for God's strength for him and his family every day. I am a churchman. I will lead my family to be good members of this church as well. We will pray together. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with his church because he gave his life for her. I am a church member. This membership is a gift. When I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. I soon thereafter identified with a local body and was baptized. And now I am humbled and honored to serve and to love others in our church. I pray that I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others and to be a part of something so much greater than any one person or member. I am a church member, and thank God that I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the church. Thank you for the cross of the church. Thank you for the time we spend talking about our vision, talking about who we are. Thank you for the people that serve here. Thank you, Lord, that we have a, such a large percentage of this body who is off reaching the nations. And we have others who are interested in going and reaching the nations. I've never been a part of a church with this many people wanting to be on mission. Thank you for the large number of people, the large percentage of church members who serve. Again, you know the churches that we have been a member of, our, my family, where we have seen almost no one serving, all of the weight on the shoulders of one pastor or a group of, a group of leaders. So, Father, just thank you for the servants' hearts, for the people that are in this church. I pray that we would continue to grow. I pray that um, your uh, mission would be advanced, ultimately, for your glory. In Jesus' name.